What is up guys and welcome to Free Cheers for the Beers. I'm your host Luke and this is the very first episode and you know what, it has been a long time coming and I've been absolutely dead excited just to get this very first episode recorded. Um, like I said, it's been an ongoing project for me even before the first actual lockdown, talking back at least towards the end of 2019 and it's it's more like a safe haven for people, really. That is the platform for this podcast. I want people to have a certain platform to talk about any of their interest and anything that's just bothering them at the same time. So without further ado, I bring to you my very, very first guest, Mr. Chris Weston. Hey, how's it going? Good to be here. Right, Chris, in all fairness... It's called Free Cheers for the Beers, so we want to know what you're drinking. Um, I'm drinking Staropramen. I used to pronounce that so wrong sometimes. What'd you say? <laughs> you don't want to know. No, no, I do, I do. <laughs> Let me see the bottle again. <laughs> Strapping? Strapon. 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 I used to pronounce that wrong so what, many what, times. A pint of Strapon. Yeah, can I, yeah, you just go to the bar, go to your local, go... Walk up to the biggest geezer you say, say, you know what, mate, can I have a strap on, please? <coughs> That'd be right back, five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, good to be here, good to be here. So, um, when did you first get the idea for, for doing this? You know what, funny enough, it was an idea that started literally towards the end of 2019, because it, it was just an idea oh, that... I wonder what brought that on. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> so, something big happened that year, I think. Oh, I don't know, mate, um... Was it the year that uh, Donald Trump got impeached? Well, which time? <laughs> <laughs> which time? <laughs> but no, honestly, God, no, it's just, I, I wanted a new project to keep myself, like, focused with everything that was going on in the world. Yeah. And obviously, I know, like, during the first lockdown, people turned to gardening, they turned to fitness, um, I turned to drinking. <laughs> but, <laughs> hence, hence the name. Hence the name. Um, but I don't know, I, I just needed something to keep my mind focused. Yeah, but yeah. Not just mind focused, but to give to the public at the same yeah, time. Yeah. Which, again, I wanted to keep it light and breezy. I, I think I was on the phone to you, funny enough, when I came up with the name, Free yeah, Cheers yeah. for the Beers. Yeah, I remember. And uh, obviously, for anyone that is listening today that does not have a single clue what Chris looks like, look at the logo. <laughs> That's oh, all I'll say. Right, so there was a bit of confusion. Um so I'm I'm a guest on the podcast, but there was a bit of a mix up with designing the logo and he well Luke got a logo back and my face was on it, so it immediately became a bit of a meme where <laughs> I'd have had have friends ringing me saying, When is Luke coming on your podcast? And Wait, <laughs> Yeah When am I coming on your yeah, podcast? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so so I didn't Shanghai's podcast. If any, if anyone wants to I'm know, Shanghai. <laughs> oh man, but honestly, it, it is something I'm, I generally wanted to do with you, mate. But I obviously I know you work and you're very busy, mate. Yeah, yeah. But nevertheless, though, it's it's nice to have you on the first episode, if anything. Yeah. So, right, I I suppose we should probably just crack down to it today, mate. Mm -hmm. So obviously. You're one of my closest and oldest friends, mate. Yep. Which anyone that knows me and Chris well will know that. We're like the dynamic duo. So, um, but the one thing I idolise about you, mate, is your knowledge for movies. 
Yeah. Like, honest to God, um, like, growing up with this boy right now, when we were younger, if there was any bit of information I need to know about a movie, he was the person. He's like a walking, talking IMDb. <laughs> <laughs> he literally is. You name any... Do you know what? I'm asking anyone to comment a movie when this is released, any movie, any knowledge whatsoever, okay? Comment the movie title and Chris will give you top 10, oh, top, 10 top 5 facts about the movie. Even the director or screenwriter at the same time. Yeah, I, um, <laughs> I'm pretty unhealthy. <laughs> hey, mate. Hey, mate. You do good. <laughs> right. So, fire away, man. What, what are you thinking? Oh, okay, so being close friends, I don't think I've ever really asked you these questions, but that's what's so good about you being on the podcast right now. I get to actually ask you these questions, but if anything, mate, I want to know, right, what was... What was that? I'm talking. Um, sorry, I misread my question there. My apologies. Um, so I want to know, mate. Like you were making quite a lot of trips to the cinema. Oh yeah. Right? <laughs> so you were visiting the cinema. Oftentimes it was for work though, because I knew yeah, you yeah. had movies you had to review. Yeah. So what I want to really know is is how have you found that you can't really visit the cinema now because of the lockdown. It has, like, taken a massive toll on me. I mean, I've been having to watch a lot of new releases sort of on VOD, so accessing them through rentals and sort of screeners through through Amazon. But the thing is, the cinema means so much more to me than the film that I'm watching, if that makes sense. So with me, what it was, I mean, before the lockdown started, and I, I don't exaggerate, what I would do is I would sort of watch a few films on a Friday night. I would wake up very early on Saturday morning, yeah sorry i'm just handing luke another beer (laughs) it's called free cheers for the beers for a reason yeah so so what i'd do is i'd wake up very early on a saturday i'd usually go to see a new release film at the showcase in the morning and then i'd usually hop on a train and then i'd go somewhere like broadway in nottingham watch a couple of films there and then i'd even sort of get the get the train back and i'd watch a film i've even met filmmakers like jim cummings and stuff through (laughs) Being in different cinemas in different cities. And uh, yeah, there's, so it's, there's it's, some good stories. So it's quite interesting then, like the more that you've branched out to visit different cin- cinemas that showcased different types of movies, that you've sort of ended up just kind of like bumping into these big names. Yeah, well, yes, in, in certain cases. Um, I mean, more... So what I was sort of saying is the cinema's always been like a really safe, happy place for me. It's almost... It's good. I think everyone can sort of relate. Everyone's got something, but it almost gave me like a sense of like purpose. And yeah. When like I'm, I can, I can be quite a, a sort of lonely, withdrawn person, and films are my way of exploring so many life lifetimes. Like you watch a film and you you experience a life that you'll never ever be able to achieve or hear about any other way, and you walk out of a film and you and you feel deeply affected. And the first thing you think, if you're addicted to it like I am, is, right, what's the next experience? What's the next lifetime that I'm going to live in? And I, I, I achieve this sort of insight into so many lifetimes every time I watch a film and I come away changed from it. It's a, it's, it's a beautiful experience. So without the cinema, it's been... I've lost the communal aspect because watching a mm. film at home 
is is great. I mean, I, I watch films at home all the time. Well, we all love the safe haven from home. It's, though, it's not the same. It's not the same feeling of being in a room with strangers that you almost get to know, and there's like an unspoken relationship when you go to the cinema. Because say if, say if you go like sort of late at night on a on a weekday when not a lot of people go, if it's not like a a big blockbuster release, you see the same people day in day out, and you don't necessarily speak to each other all the time, but there's. There's a sort of sense that Common you know these people better than you know your family sometimes because the, it's true. It's, Wait, what, it's, are you, what are you trying to say here? Well, no, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a very, very interesting way. But I mean, I've had some of the best memories that I've, I've ever made have, have been in cinemas and some of the best, best strangers that I've ever met have been in cinemas. And I've had so many interesting experiences, even in going to the cinema in different countries and stuff. I mean, I've got some, some really interesting stories. Well, there. you did, you did um, correct me if I'm wrong here, but um, I know that you attended, like, quite a few, like, like film festivals. Yeah, yeah, like I've been independ- some good film festivals, yeah. In- independent film festivals. And would you say that attending, like, said independent film festivals, that it's kind of, like, opened your eyes to what creative aspects people can go to from such a small budget to making such... A meaningful masterpiece. Yeah, I mean, the, the greatest thing about film festivals is you can watch these films and say if, say if they blow you away and the director's sort of talking about it and often, often you get to speak to them afterwards and it's the sense of knowing, especially if you've seen the sort of controversial film or a very, very hard film that's going to be difficult to market, you think to yourself, nobody, maybe, maybe nobody else is going to see this film when it's finished the festival run. And there's, there's been so many incredible films that I've seen at festivals that just haven't been released. They've, they've not been picked up or, or distributed. And it's that really exciting sense from festivals that you get. But the reason I've missed cinema so much is it was that sense of... It, it, it almost it got me out of the house. It's, it's, it's almost like a sort of tourism thing. It's like you're, you're visiting these, these places. I mean, I've, I've, I've travelled the world through film in, in a weird way. That, that's but actually I've, amazing. I've, yeah, I've just I've just really missed the whole sort of being able to step outside my door and just be in someone else's life in five minutes. Like I, I live next to one of my favourite cinemas, and I just I absolutely I, I'm pretty lost. I'm I'm pretty lost about it. Would you say in a way that you know when you go to the movies and you watch a movie like I don't know, say for example, from one of your favourite directors or screenplay artists that you feel that when you actually watch their latest release movie, do you feel like you're looking through their eyes, in a sense? Like, um, you're, you you're getting a bit of a moment where you're inside their head and picturing the masterpiece, the masterpiece with, they're trying to with, portray. With the greatest directors, I feel like, with every new film of theirs that you see, you get to know them a little bit more. And the, the thing about the, the all-time greats is that they never fail to surprise you. Yeah. There, there, there is there is the sense that I don't know what I'm going to get this time, or I do know what I'm going to get, but they may show me a different side of themselves. I mean, it's, I, I think yeah, I sorry, mate. I think one of the most like in, intriguing like terms of camera use um, by a certain director that blew me away. I, I couldn't tell you the, the I couldn't tell you the name off the top of my head now because I probably couldn't really remember, but. Um, He's the one that brought out Climax. Oh, Gaspar Noe. Gaspar Noe, oh, that's Gaspineau. it, Gaspar Noe. Yeah. And to be honest with you, his way of like visualising with the camera baffled me because every like second throughout the whole movie, I'm thinking, how is he working those angles? 
Gaspar Noe is is just is is one of my favorite filmmakers. But I mean, every time I see one of his films, they are they are films to obsess over for a long, long time. I mean, everything is released. I've I've seen it countless, countless times, and it just never fails to blow my mind. I mean, I had a really, really great cinema experience with one of his films. I saw um, a rerun of Enter the Void at the Phoenix, and I think uh, it was in the main screening room, so it was, it was quite a big room. And there must have there must have only been like five of us, and I yeah. think there was yeah, and there was there was only a few of us left at the end, and one of them was asleep, and I remember one guy sort of standing up halfway through the film, and he just said like audibly so everyone could hear, "Fuck this movie." <laughs> and walked so out, one out and, of five. And, and walked out and it was, it was just this really interesting interesting screening but yeah he's, he's an interesting filmmaker he is I mean uh, I'm not too sure what he's doing next I'm not sure if he's got I'd a project I'd like to ask that really do you, do, have you I mean of obviously with, with everything that's going on it's like even even filmmakers that do have projects in the works uh, a lot of it's a, a sort of standstill I know a lot of productions have sort of resumed now but there's a lot that haven't well without getting too in deep with the actual lockdown itself. However, like, especially like um, hospitality and everything, the film industry was, was, was at a stop and pause moment in life. Yeah. As um, in time stood still where just no one could do anything. And that's including filmmakers as well. Yeah. I mean, there was, there was an interesting, uh, interesting story. I say, I say fairly recently, it might be a little bit dated now, but I I don't know if some people heard about it with um, Tom Cruise. He was on the set for the latest Mission Impossible, and he was he was really switching. Every, everyone compared it to Christian Bale on Terminator Salvation, but it wasn't really like that. He was stressing out, and he was he was just defending the future of cinema, in my opinion. So he was moaning at everyone, saying that they will they will obey the rules and they they will obey social distancing and they will wear masks. And he he sounded he, it's he sounded desperate, and it's coming from from a point of view in Hollywood that. It's their it's their lifeblood is making movies. I mean, Tom Tom Cruise. I mean, say say what you want about him. I, I think he's I think he's a bit of a genius to be honest. I think he's I incre- absolutely incredible. But, loved him but that's the, the thing. One. That's that's what he's doing. He's he's defending the future of cinema. It's like if you can't obey the rules, we're at a point where c- cinema is in dire straits. And if if we don't if we don't continue doing what we're doing, it's gonna stop. And he's so frustrated that there might be people who who don't love it as much as he does that could compromise his vision. And that's and that's, that's, that's the state we're at. We, we've got we've got stars like Tom Cruise fighting for the future because these these are the kind of movies they make the big bucks and these are the kind of movies that if they do well they are going to save cinema. So I totally understand why these people are frustrated and you can you can call it a hissy fit all you want, but the the man's passionate about his work and he's trying to he's trying to save it. Well, Chris, I have to throw this one out there, and that's this is only based on. I've not. Pre- he's not prepared for this because like, I didn't tell him I was actually okay. going to do this. Okay. But uh, right, obviously, for anyone that knows me and Chris, we've been friends for a good twenty years now, and we've had some funny, really bad movie favorites. And right now, okay. I want to hear Chris's top five really, really bad, but funny to us, but bad movies. Oh, you've massively put me on the spot. <laughs> so the the thing is. I don't know. I I kind of rege- like reject the term like bad movie because it's it is really really subjective. I mean there there are so many like some may- maybe like objectively terrible movies that I absolutely love. Evil Bong. 
but yeah, great. <laughs> sorry, what a Absolutely great movie! Great movie. <laughs> what a great movie! Um, also, like bad bad movies, like as, as well. in like movies that we've watched that have had such a low budget, but you know what? Specifically to me and you, they've delivered. Right. Okay. So this dates back to secondary school when um, so. To put it out there, me and Luke both failed French. <laughs> but <laughs> there is a very good reason why we failed French. Uh, it's because we saw loads of wonderful, wonderful films. In hindsight, we had access to a website where it showed all these low-budget movies, and I'm telling you, they were extremely yeah, we, bad. Yeah, we, um, we saw some pretty interesting stuff. So what we used to do is, I don't know why, but she was more of a babysitter than the French teacher, maybe, because she just put us on laptops. And we were supposed to go on a uh, linguoscope, but I remember what we used to do is we'd just go on a website and watch these like sort of random it was movies. Project like, Free TV. Yeah, I mean one that sticks out was um, Terror at Blood Fart Lake. Oh, that was a which classic. is probably one of the worst movies ever. But at the same time, one of the best movies. Yeah, ever. it's it's just a bunch of guys who got together and made this really terrible movie. It's hilarious. It really, it really is. It's the sort of movie that that your friends. But do you remember when we saw it on Amazon? And it was so expensive. Because they're not, they're not going to have made many copies. Yeah, I mean, but the fact is, though, like, if anything, that's a good sales tactic in my eyes. Because, like, if you've only made one copy, fucking skyrocket the price. I suppose, but if it's not good, then there's always going to be one for sale. You know, <laughs> you know they've got copies buried. But yeah, I remember, I remember stuff like unrated the movie and stuff oh, like that. I remember, like, I remember that. Yeah, there, there was some good stuff, like Fanks Killing and... And that sort of thing. I think... And Killer I, Condom. That was another one. <laughs> you didn't show me this movie till you was at least in your first year of university. Okay. And it was by far... Like, I know it's... I think from hearing you in the past, I think you've told me that it's been a bit of a cult classic movie in a weird way, but uh, I'm going to go with The Room. It, that, that is the cult movie. <laughs> because... I, mean, I, I think it owes a huge debt to the Prince Charles in, in London. So As, they pretty much made that movie. And if anyone, I mean, have you been have you been to a screening of the room, like a public screening? I haven't. No. It is. It, you've got to do it. I mean, once once the lockdown's over, I'm, I'm sure the Prince Charles they they screen it like so often. But what they do is they they sort of it's a very interactive screening. I mean, people are people are dressed up. Everyone screams along with the quotes. Everyone throws spoons at the screen. It's 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 great. And he, usually he he turns up. I mean, I've I've met him there myself. I met him and uh, Greg. Greg Astero. And for anyone that's listening that's not really too familiar with The Room itself, if you've ever seen a movie on Netflix called The Disaster Artist, was it? Yeah, it's on Netflix. Yep, yeah. uh, The Disaster Artist. I know it's on some yeah, one of... Yeah, the, uh, the James Franco. But yes, but it's with James Franco, Dave Franco, and I think Seth Rogen, mm-hmm. I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've ever watched that, that's the movie we're referring to. Okay, this is the... But that movie is the movie about making such a disastrous movie. What was it referred to as again? Like, the best, worst movie ever. It's like, it's the Citizen Kane of bad movies, which I, I love that sort of phrase, like, the Citizen Kane of. Like, it gets thrown around a lot, but I think it actually holds a little bit of weight with The Room. <laughs> with The Room. One of the worst movies I've ever seen. Okay, so, that so far, Chris, you've told me some movies right now, but one of them sticks out the most that... I remember back from the age of when we was at least 16, 17, one movie we was obsessed with watching okay. all the time. And I'm not going to say the inside jokes because obviously they're inside jokes that are funny for anyone that watched the movie with us. But I'm going to go with Spy Kids. 
Oh, Spy Kids was the worst for it. <laughs> yeah, I remember having a conversation with someone about Spy Kids, like even fairly recently. And it was on like some sort of cinema page, and um, like um, yeah, I love I love Heath Ledger's performance in The Dark Knight, and they were talking about like the Joker being the the great iconic villain, and for sort of a laugh, I, I put in a, a really persuasive argument about Fagin Flute, played by um Alan Cumming, <laughs> in Spy Kids Alan being Cummings. being the the great movie villain. <laughs> It, it, it didn't get a very good response, but I, I stand by it. I stand by it. Do you know what? <laughs> For anyone that has seen Spy Kids or grew up with Spy Kids, <laughs> the best moment of the entire movie, right, is when um, Floop is double-crossed by Minion, and it's oh, when he takes off the glasses and the Fooglies grab hold of um, Alan Cumming, and they're like, was it? And he looks so shocked to realise that he was going to betray him all along, where as a kid, you probably won't see it, but as you grow up older and you rewatch the movie, you think to yourself, I saw this on Mars. <laughs> oh, it's incredible. I, th- I think the best bit in Spy Kids is when uh, it's near the start when they're, they're, he's driving, is it, it's Junie to school, and one of the uh, FBI agents that his dad works with has gone missing, and Floop introduces a new Foogly on the show and it's this fucking big pink monster and all of a sudden he raises his eyebrows like the show's caught his attention and yeah he he takes out a picture of the FBI agent and he sort of puts it up to the screen and he's he's pushing it up and down to compare and contrast these people and he's convinced that it might be the agent and there is absolutely no <laughs> resemblance whatsoever. I mean, all you have to go on is the eyes. I mean, that's, I mean I'm, sure he, I'm sure he did it for a laugh, but it's just a really great little moment. If, if anything, one of the it's, great... It's like that moment was for the parents. <laughs> <laughs> for me, one of the greatest scenes of Spy Kids was, you know, when they're, um, when they're uh, falling down the slide, but if you rewind it backwards... It's a crab of help, like it. Floop is a mermaid, oh, help yeah. us save us. Floop is a mermaid, <laughs> help us save us. <laughs> oh, I that absolutely film. loved it. Oh, it was brilliant. Oh god. To be fair though, mate, like there's been a lot of um, there's been a lot of like um, like good movies that I think we've actually grew up with. That to be fair, mate, honest to god, mate, some of the best memories of these movies that I've I've actually watched with you. And to be fair, with you that's what. If anything, from what you've just said for the last 22 minutes, is just hearing how passionate you are about movies. I think about movies where I'm just going to throw bullet movies out here right now. Like, I Love You, Beth Cooper. Yeah, um, good memories with that. An amazing movie. Um, those of you don't know that in Leicester City Centre, there was actually a cinema just opposite St. Margaret's bus station. Yeah, and City it, Cinema. It was quite possibly the best summer of at least my age growing up because yeah yeah because we, we didn't obviously we didn't really have any money growing up and the tickets were sort of piccadilly cinema, like two pounds two pound fifty yeah it was two pound fifty for was a piccadilly ticket. was the one down green lane road i think oh wait, yeah that, no. that was on green lane Sorry, road yes that's piccadilly the, cinema. the one in city, city cinema, cinema. City cinema that's yeah. why it was called yeah yes. piccadilly's green lane but um no like we used to go there and it was like three pound a ticket and um yeah i mean we we sort of saw a lot of like 18 rated movies you know, when we were really young, like, I remember seeing, like, Saw installments and Rob Zombie's Halloween 2. So not good movies, but at, at that age, you were, like, just excited to be there. But, I mean, we'd, we'd go watch films, like, sort of four or five times. Mm. Just, like, I mean, even, like, I Love You, Beth Cooper. I mean, you watch it back now, I have a lot of nostalgia for that movie. But we would just be in there all the time because it was almost like you're watching these characters live out these sort of wild teen fantasies. 
and that wasn't mm. going on outside the cinema, so we'd rather be in there. Well, you know what, Chris? It's been an absolute pleasure of having you today. And what I want to do is, for the last two minutes, um, I kind of want to dedicate to any guest that is on the show that if there's any upcoming projects they're working with, any terms of social media that you want to get out there, please feel free. Um, I know that you review movies and mm-hmm. you write a lot. So if there's anywhere you want to get anyone else to read a couple of your articles, then the floor is yours, mate. Go. Yeah, no, it's fine. I mean, um, if you know me, just uh, drop me a follow on Instagram. Sometimes I post some stuff on there. But yeah, no, but it was a, it was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Absolute pleasure. And tune in to the 27th of February, where I will be airing episode two. And again, the excitement is real and I really can't wait. So thank you for anyone that has tuned in for this episode. Thank you to my wonderful guest, Christopher Weston. And I will see you guys soon. Bye bye.